This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. There's not really much more we can say about this Manchester City team, is there? Another week, another two wins, and still sitting pretty leading the way in the Premier League table. Along with Liverpool, of course, we can't forget them. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we'll look back over the performances in games with Bournemouth and Watford. We'll be taking an in-depth look at the Rainbow Laces campaign, hearing from some fans and officials who it affects the most, and we'll turn our attention to the youngsters with the FA Youth Cup on the horizon. This weekend sees City's next big game test as Pep Guardiola takes his side to Stamford Bridge, so we'll look ahead to that. And we'll take your questions in Ask the Panel too. Get them in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. I'm David Mooney and I'm on hosting duties this week and I'm joined by One Football's Dan Burke. Hello. And from the Manchester Evening News, Mr. Simon Bykowski. Hello. How are you both doing? Are you well? Very well, thank yeah. you. Very well, thanks, yeah. Good to hear. So, uh, like I said in the uh, in the opener there, two wins, it's... You know, it's, it, it's you know perhaps they weren't as easy as they looked, but uh, Bournemouth were lively. Watford uh, challenged late on, but it's ultimately a comfortable week, Simon. Yeah, I think so. Um, Bournemouth played very well. City weren't at their best and have not been at their best for a time and uh, kind of worried a bit for them going to Watford. But then they put in a very good performance and they, like you say, they've come away with two wins and it's just hard to see who's going to stop them other than themselves, really. Dan, when you when you look at the, uh, especially the performance at Watford, is I mean, is there a danger that, we're, that uh, we can concentrate too much on the last five minutes when City were under pressure instead of the first 60 where they were just knocking it around for fun? I think so, yeah. I mean, City should have been 2-0 up before they even went 1-0 up in that game. And then they should have put the game to bed in the second half. They had plenty of chances to do so, completely dominated the game. And conceded a scrappy goal and then you just knew at that point that it was going to be a bit of a late onslaught from Watford that's what happens in the Premier League it's a bit of a cliche and I think some of my international colleagues will be rolling their eyes if they could hear me saying this but there are no easy games in the Premier League really I think that Bournemouth game showed that I was a bit worried about that one at half time and I was a bit worried about the Watford game even before before the game going into it I thought we could uh, we could find ourselves um, coming unstuck in, in this game but you know City have got a lot of flair as you say and the ability to dig in when they need to and um, you shouldn't really worry about them too much. They are going to drop more points at some stage this season, but I think they're, they're going to they're going to win most of the games as well. And, and these are the sort of games that they say it's the mark of champions, don't they? Teams are when you can grind out a result when you're not playing particularly well. So um, good good news that City have been able to do that. Well, you just kind of anticipated my next question because I was I was going to say what do the performances say about City's ability to dig in when they need to? Because I mean, ultimately against. Bournemouth and Watford, they, they didn't have to do a lot of digging in at times, but when they did, they were they were quite resolute, weren't they? Yeah, they always are. Um, I mean, they've got a lot of big characters in the team, City. You know, you think of people like Fernandinho, David Silva, um, Vincent Company played against Watford the other night. A lot of people, were, I think, were a little bit worried about uh, him being in the team when the, the teams were announced. I thought he was absolutely superb, barely put a foot wrong, and if anything, it, it sort of only started to fall apart once he'd gone off. Um, so you don't have to worry about that with City really it's not this um, the, the sort of Pellegrini teams of yesteryear where they were very pretty pretty to watch but a little bit spineless at times I think City have got everything that they're a very well-rounded team a very strong team and a very very difficult team to beat as they've proved over the last couple of seasons so yeah like I say I don't think we should be worried about them too much 
grit and flair, Simon. It's not, uh, is, is that a good way to describe the week? I, I think so, yeah, and a, a very good way to describe Laporte as well, who's just been majestic all season. I think he has added so much to the team this year. Um, but, I mean, like we were saying about digging in, I mean, when City went to Leon it last last week, a few weeks ago. Recently, I can't um, remember, yeah. So Guardiola got his had several key injuries. He got his team wrong. The Leon manager outthought him and out and meant that City couldn't create the chances they did. And they still scored two goals. They scored two headers, which they're a tiny team and <laughs> they found a way to score two goals. There's, you know, even when you think you've boxed off every possible avenue to stop them scoring and you've you've, you know, picked up several minor victories. That they still find a way. There's, just, there's still something there, isn't they're, there? They're like the undead. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan, I, I mean, I, I, I'm always loath to kind of stick the knife in towards Liverpool Twitter, but I mean, we're going to have to at some point because there's, there, there's been a <laughs> there, there, there's been a big thing recently about about them calling for other teams to attack City more. And the, the, I mean, the one thing that I got from Watford and Bournemouth is that neither of them were afraid to have a go, were they? No, I mean, I don't really understand that that sort of um, point, what, what point they're trying to make there. Did they not watch last season? I mean, teams attacked us last season. Their own team attacked us last season, all right, and, and got a couple of results against us. But, a lot, you know, teams attack City all the time, and City are, just like I said, they're very difficult to beat, um, whether you attack them or whether you sit off. If you sit off, they can play around you and, and find gaps and work their way through. If you attack them, they can pick you off and pounce on your mistakes and counter-attack you at pace and... Um, you know, really dangerous when they do that. So there is no blueprint um, to play against City as much as people keep trying to find one. I don't think. Um, well, I think you've the, just got to hope that City aren't at the best on the day, really. Yeah, well, the, I, I think generally the blueprint blueprint when City drop points is either the other team, you know, they have a combination of A being very good on the day and B getting a bit lucky, and C City are below par. So like, it, it, City only seem to drop points when those three things come into play, do they? Well, basically, yeah. I mean, if City play to their best in every single game, they would win every game. I have no doubt about that because they're the best team in the league and if not the best team in Europe. So it just all, all that people need for, for to, to get a result against City is for City to have a bad day or make mistakes. If that doesn't happen, then they're in a bit of trouble, really. Simon, when I mean, let, let's actually do a bit of analysis now and, and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the games. Uh, when, when, why is it... Look, take Watford, for example, the start of the game. When City turn it on, what is it that makes them so irresistible? Why can't teams live with them? They've got very good players. Well, I mean, it's not. It can't just be that. They've had very good players in the past, and teams have been able to to kind of put up a barrier. What is it about this well, team? Well, the way they combine. I mean, they've got players going forward who have the pace and quality to work in short areas, and they've been working together now for more than a year. The whole team, so they know where where everyone's going to be. There was a brilliant interview with Raheem Sterling uh, in the Times the other day where he said, you know, he told Leroy Sane, if you're in trouble on the left and you don't quite know where to hit the ball, just whack it across the box and I'll be there because they just know where each other is going to be. And it, it is, it's almost like they're playing with blindfolds on because... It's just muscle memory now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, against West Ham, you know, they scored very similar goals... Uh, West Ham, by the way, a team that attacked City and got absolutely thumped. So it's not quite as easy as as Liverpool Twitter seems to think it is. I mean, yeah. ultimately, it comes down to it as well. If you know, if Liverpool Twitter wanted teams to attack City, why didn't Liverpool have a go at them? You know, yeah. It's, it's... yeah. I mean, it was Klopp 
made a very strange point about teams sort of not having a go at City and then having a go at Liverpool. And you can understand maybe some teams thinking we're not going to, you know, there's no point wasting our time going too in-depth against City and focus on the other 18 teams maybe. But like, if you just think we're going to attack City, you're going to get beaten very quickly. I'd love it, actually. I would, I would yeah. love every team to come to the Etihad and go, you know what, we're going to have a go with this. We're going to have a go this afternoon. No, no men behind the ball. Um, this is uh, Pep Guardiola speaking after the game uh, with Watford on uh, what was a tough end to the game. If you analyse the game in 90 minutes, we were much, much better. So the game is well-deserved to win, but of course you have to, to kill. And when we have uh, one mistake, you cannot score a goal. The third one, and they score a goal the last minute, I think it happened. So the last minute they had more chances than us, and they arrive a lot many times. And uh, But uh, but in general, especially until the, the 0-2, the game was, was really, really good. And completely in control. One goal either side of half time is just breezing. Playing an interesting and a comfortable style of football as well. That's why that's why the ending seems so surprising. Yeah, because we analysed the last five minutes. So you ask me all the last five minutes. I'm telling to see is ninety minutes. So in five minutes, yeah, they are they were better than us. But you analyse the game. They have one save. Uh, Eddie in the first half but we had four or five clear chances to score the second half as well after 0-2 okay we lost a little bit of control and of course you're going to try to improve of that but that is my vision of the game maybe it's different for the other ones no not at all I mean you're completely on top in fact your form is is so amazing at the moment that you're you're looking to break your own records that's the intensity of the side that we saw for 80 minutes no but it's not about uh, to break the record so it's it's, uh, you know win games and and of course that's normal so so what happened last last game when when Bournemouth draw at home and today the last minutes last 15, 20, 25 minutes that's normal. So last season we won the last minute or 94 minutes against Southampton at home. Against West Ham we, we won the last minute. So that's normal. So win this kind of game, you cannot expect winning 38 games winning uh, easily. It's impossible. So that is normal. That is football. And and what we'll learn of that, uh, we focus what happened in the last 20-25 minutes. We have to work on it to, to try to avoid it the next time because when that's happened, the opponents are going to beat you. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game with Watford. Um, let's look at uh, a few players individually now for, for this one. Simon, what, what does the fact that City have done this without Aguero and De Bruyne say about the team? I think it says they've got the best squad in the league, really. Um, I mean, as much as you see it on a daily basis with who's on the bench, but to, to do it without Aguero, De Bruyne, Mendy... Um, Bernardo and Gundogan have been out recently, sort of. I don't think any other team, if you took out their three, three or four of their best players, um, I don't think they would be sitting where City are in the Premier League table. It's just, again, it, it's a a credit to the squad that has been assembled under the last few years under Pep. Dan, it says a lot, doesn't it? When, I mean, at times in the past, you would say, oh, City going to, to Stamford Bridge or, or you know, Anfield or wherever, the, you know, if you, if you got the news, oh, Aguero's out or, you know, De Bruyne's not going to be fit, you would go, oh, goodness me, it's going to be a hard game. But now you kind of trust the team to go, oh, well, well, we'll just kind of get on with it then. Very much so, yeah. I mean, the system is so strong as well. It's not just about the personnel. Like, you know, they've got 
very talented players, but the system is what makes City very good. Um, so they can cope without De Bruyne or Aguero. Not quite. They're not quite as good. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what De Bruyne can do when he comes back. Because you know, I, for my money, he's still the best player in the Premier League and one of the best players in the world. So if he can really take City up another level, then we're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the the second half of the season. But yeah, I think it's remarkable that we've we've not really missed him over the course of the season. And um, Aguero is a little bit different because we've only had uh, we've only been without him for a couple of weeks now, and I think we have looked slightly less potent in attack without him. Um, but but hopefully he's not going to be out for very long, and then when he does come back, he can just kick on and, and start scoring goals again. Well, let, let's talk Jesus because I mean, h- how do you think he's done in in Aguero's absence? Because there's been on one, on the one hand, there's there's worries about his recent form and, and in front of goal. On the other hand, he, he scored a hat trick in the Champions League recently. He did, yeah. Um, it's quite easy to forget that, actually. I have totally forgotten it. <laughs> two two penalties, um, I mean, against, it? it? was two penalties, against, but I mean, they, they were yeah. still they were nice finishes. They weren't. They, they didn't just kind of slot them in. He, you know, he hammered them home. Yeah, that that lob over the keeper in that game was really good, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, against Watford, I was the, the first half when City were were sort of overwhelming Watford and. Um, Mares was putting all those brilliant crosses into the box. I kept thinking, where is Jesus? Why is he not getting on the end of any of these crosses? He just seemed to be completely anonymous. Uh, and it was starting to worry me a little bit. And then there were a couple of moments in that game where he got on the ball and he beat his marker in a tight space. And you thought, ah, oh, there's a good player. You know, there's the player that we were we were hoping he was going to turn out to be when he when he joined the club a few years ago. And I think there is a point to be made that he has his development has stalled a little bit, whether that's because he's not been playing regularly enough or... I don't know. Um, you know, we didn't have a brilliant World Cup for Brazil. Um, I think he's a little bit disappointed when he plays for City at times. Not quite that clinical finisher. He's certainly not looking like um, that comparison with the Brazilian Ronaldo that everyone um, was making about him a few years ago. Doesn't look like that's going to come to fruition anytime soon. But I think you know you've just got to be patient with him, give him a run of games in the team, which you'll probably get with Aguero missing now, and see what he can do. Hopefully, a goal. Um, will come in the next couple of games and, and that will do his confidence the world of good because there is a good player there and I, I think you know a lot of City fans have been a bit impatient with him I see people slagging him off on Twitter and stuff like that um, I think you know we've just got to, got to wait and see and give him a chance Simon on the on the flip side of the coin though I mean when you actually look at his numbers I, th- I think it was something like 30 Premier League games of the last 30 Premier League games involved in 20 goals so scoring or assisting in them so I mean his numbers still stack up they do but they're on the decline um and as Dan was said he was this like sharp shooter when he arrived and it was like seven goals from ten shots or something and he's got one goal in twelve league games this season. Yeah, that but that, they weren't the numbers I was referring to, so, so <laughs> I, I mean come on. Um yeah, I mean you can never forget that Jesus brings so much to the team, uh, in terms of his, his work pressing off the ball and Guardiola loves him and will defend him until He's uh, on his deathbed, I think, and he he does he is involved in a lot of goals and some I think there was one goal in Europe earlier this season where I think it was uh, Leon at home Bernardo scored, but it was Jesus's run that took the defender away that he won't get a goal or assist for, but he 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 did make the goal. Um, but on he, the he other, made the space for the goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. But on on the other side of that, he he's not scoring as he was. Um, and there was a moment against Watford. Uh, I can't bl- remember whose ball came into the box, but free header in the box, and he he just got his timing wrong, and it went over the bar. And th- those are the chances that last season and definitely 
the season before, he would have buried. I am going to defend him on that one, though, because it took a flick on its way through, and that flick made him offside. So if it like, if, if it hadn't been flicked, his header, his, his header might have been destined for the top corner, and if it had gone in from the flick, he'd have been flagged anyway. So Yeah, well, you know, that's not the evidence I was <laughs> referring to. But, um, I do think that there is something that sort of goal-hungry side to his game is missing at the minute, and I don't know how he gets it back. Um, but he will obviously be a far better player when he does. Well, let's talk uh, Leroy Sane as well, because um, perhaps, I mean, over the two games, perhaps his two performances were, were, were kind of adding up to the two wins, if you know what I mean. They, they, were, they were both very crucial in that. Um, what, what will it do for his confidence, Dan? Because he's, he's another player that, that, again, didn't start the season too well, but he's slowly growing into it now. Yeah, well, he was like a man possessed against Bournemouth, wasn't he? I think Pep said something after the game about it. have to find out what he was eating before the game and change the um, the pre-match meal suited to that because if everyone's going to be like that, then uh, we're going to be in for a hell of a season. But with him, I don't think it's really a question of confidence. I think, it, if anything, it's the opposite. He was, he's a little bit overconfident at times. Um, you know, There was that well-documented um, game at the start of the season. I can't remember who it was against now when he was left out of the squad and sat in the stands. because Newcastle, was it? Been, that was it, yeah, yeah. Because Pep wasn't too happy with um, his application in training. There's been a few uh, murmurings from the German national team that, you know, um, I think it was Tony Crowes said that he doesn't care if he wins or loses and he needs to work on his attitude a little bit. So if if he has taken all that criticism on board, because I think there probably was some truth to it, um, and, and he's, he's put it into his game and he's a little bit more determined to work hard and show what he can do, as he has done over the last couple of games then great. Um, it, it's a good job that people were saying those things about him because it's going to make him a better player ultimately. And um, he, he's been superb the last couple of games. I think when you know you think about City's best eleven, I think he still gets in it. So let's hope he can uh, he can take that form to the Chelsea game at the weekend and, and really put on a show. Well, you're you're obviously based in Germany. What what's the what's the kind of opinion of him out there? I still don't think they've quite seen the real Leroy Sané because he's only recently in the last international break scored his first and second goals for Germany. Um, obviously, he got left out of the World Cup squad and they were a little bit puzzled by that. Um, and, and apart from that, they just know him as a young kid at Schalke, really. So I think they um, are still waiting to see the real Leroy Sané for the, for the national team. Um, and, and they're a little bit sort of sceptical about his quality. I don't think he's quite as highly rated over here as he is in England at the moment. But in time, I have no doubt that he's going to be going, going to be one of the best players in the world. And um, I'm sure they'll be very happy with him ultimately. Well, we, th- I mean, this topic seems to come up every week, Simon, but it's its your turn to wax lyrical about uh, Raheem Sterling because uh, <laughs> you know, he only played in one of the two games, but uh, against Bournemouth again, you know, he's, he, I mean, he's good for a goal against Bournemouth anyway, but, uh, but um, you know, he's, he, he whacked one in. He, I think he got an assist on one of them as well. He's he just, you know, a, another all-round great performance. I, I think I've... I've spoken about Sterling many times and all all I can settle on now is that he is world class. He is one of the best players in the world because you look at his goals and assists and what he brings and those numbers stack up and you can't even talk about form because he's been doing it for 18 months now. Um, He's just, he's always one to turn to whenever City needs something. He's there, he's ready to, to make an action and he's bold and he never hides and... Yeah, I mean, well done to City for getting him signed up to a new contract because, you know, it wasn't a certainty and there was a bit of flux over summer and a bit of uncertainty around that and both both camps really playing games. Um, but it's done now and he's signed up and I think as long as Pep is there, 
Sterling will be a key player and can only get better. So if he's, if he's world-class already and can only get better, then should be excited for what's to come. Is he the player? I mean, I said to Dan before that that you know it's funny that that when City are missing players, they you, you kind of have confidence in the team to go out and do it. Is he the one player maybe that when he's not in the squad, City fans are, quite rightly could go, mm, I wish Sterling was there. Yeah, although they did beat Watford without him. Well, yeah, was, okay, but but you know before kickoff, you're like he is almost the first name on the team sheet, and it's gone from a position where like. City are linked with City signed Bernardo or a link with Alexis or signed Maris, and it's like, oh well, he plays Sterling's position, so Sterling's in trouble. And now Sterling can basically play anywhere across the front three and be better than whoever's there almost because you know he'll guarantee you a goal or an assist. Final word for the uh, the first part of the show, Dan. I'm uh, I'm going to throw uh, to you Riyad Mahrez. Uh, he's proven himself to be uh, quite a quite a, a nice signing for City this season. Isn't he just? Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit sceptical about Mares. Um, first of all, last January when they when they first made the attempt to sign him, I thought it looked a little bit like a sort of panic buy after they'd lost out on Alexis Sanchez. I was and I was thinking, do they do they really want this guy, or are they just trying to get someone in, you know, in the in the the eleventh hour? And then when they went back for him in the summer, I, I wanted us to sign him, but I thought they probably paid about twenty million too much for him there which isn't a big issue for City really, but it's still, you know, you don't want to see yourself get ripped off. But I think he's been a magnificent signing. Um, he took a little bit of time to get going, but the past few games he's really shown what he's made of. I thought he was outstanding against Watford the other night. I mean, those crosses that he was putting in in the first half were inch perfect every single time. He was getting it, you know, right right on a plate and he ultimately set up the goal. Um, he's just so clever coming in off that, left hand, uh, off that right-hand side onto his left foot. Um, he's dangerous. He, he he's got a real goal threat, and I just think he's been a an excellent sign. And and I mentioned when we were talking about Sane um, that I think Sane still gets in City's best eleven, but I think it's really close between him and Mares uh, as to who takes up that that final um, attacking midfield slot. Um, and it's going to be a real good competition for for him, Sane and Sterling. I think over the the, the rest of the season to see who can cement the place in the team. But yeah, really happy with Mares. I think he's been superb. I know I said that was the final word, but I uh, I just wanted to throw in one little uh, thing extra from uh, from the Watford game. I just want a quick comment on Edison as well, uh, Simon, because there was a couple of no look passes in there. He made a cracking save with his feet. Um, is is there anything that will shake that guy? No, he's he's the coolest person I've ever seen, and I I like to measure players by how often by coolness by how often they sort <laughs> of just make you laugh out loud or <laughs> take your breath away and. De Bruyne probably nicks it, but Edison is is certainly up there. Edison's the only goalkeeper I've ever seen that 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 looks like when he receives a pass back and then rolls it out to to somebody else. It's an inconvenience to him. <laughs> you know what I mean, it, it's like he'd, he'd rather just stand there and do nothing. And here you are giving him the ball to to, to move it on. It's not it's not on, is it? Right. So time to move on. And the last two match days in the Premier League have seen the top flights join up with Stonewall for its annual promotion of inclusivity. It's been hard to miss with players wearing rainbow armbands and with the Premier League's branding taking on rainbow colours. I've been speaking to a few City fans who can explain why the campaign is important and whether or not it's doing the job it's supposed to. Take a look at the comments on Manchester City's changed badge on Twitter or Facebook this weekend and you'll get a peek into why the Rainbow Laces campaign is important. This is the Daily Mail's Adam Crafton speaking to the Sunday supplement on Sky Sports. I think it sets out to create the best possible environment for people to feel comfortable to be themselves. And 
I think it's succeeding at that to a certain extent. I think it's a good campaign. It's only for a couple of weeks a year. I think there are things that could be improved by football clubs, by people in football. I would like more players to talk about the issue. You know, if you look at the last two weeks, how many Premier League players have actually spoken confidently about this issue and said, because they will all know someone now, I would imagine, who is gay. Adam's not wrong. He was speaking generally, but looking at it from a City perspective, not one player in Pep Guardiola's side wore the rainbow laces. There's a fear of even discussing the issue, I feel, amongst a lot of Premier League footballers. You don't have to be gay to talk about it. All it takes is a, a leading star to say something like, you know, I have this friend from school who I'm still really close with, he's gay, we're still friends, it's great. It would make a difference to the wider perception in the public, just also to his dressing room. Tom Kearney of Fulham actually spoke really well about it this week. Um, I think Jonas Lursel of Huddersfield. I think those were the, the, the only two really that I've seen. It was the same last season. When we asked City why nobody wore the laces 12 months ago, we were told the players were given the freedom to choose. The club added that they support the campaign with the rainbow armband, as well as backing Manchester Pride with a visible presence on banners throughout the city centre. We tried to speak to City this season, but it's not been possible before recording. At this year's campaign launch, some questioned why it was needed in 2018. Here's 32-year-old Jamie, a City fan who's gay. Just seeing the likes of Fernandinho on Saturday, for example, wearing a rainbow on his captain's armband makes me feel more visible and valued as as a gay City fan. Also, seeing the campaigns on Twitter and on, on, on Facebook just makes makes you feel better really. And this is 29 year old Jack. He explains that being a gay City fan has meant he's had a range of experiences at matches. I guess I've kind of had two experiences like the good and the bad. I've actually been to see City win in the Champions League away at Seville with a boyfriend of mine at the time and you know we were just kind of holding hands and stuff and at the stadium and you know no one said anything no one batted an eyelid or anything but I've also kind of heard Obviously, the F word kind of said at a referee for getting a call wrong against a City player by a City fan. And, you know, it does leave a bit of taste in your mouth. I kind of feel that until people see the F word as the same as the N word, I don't really think that anyone will know how offensive it actually is until they're on the same level. He thinks LGBT visibility is important. I really think that the Rainbow Laces campaign is great. And it will go to show that there are gay players out there who are just... You know, wanting to actually play football and, you know, show support with other gay people in sport. I think they are still fearful of coming out because when you do see the replies on Facebook and Twitter, there are still people who don't agree with it. Um, but that's in the minority. And luckily, I think the campaign is showing that, you know, the attitudes are changing in England and hopefully it will get better in the next couple of years. Men's football has no openly gay players in the top leagues, but there are other sports that do. This is 22-year-old Lewis Daly. He represents Team GB at water polo and is openly gay. Being a sport with rather large lad culture involved, similar to rugby, I was always worried about the coming out process. And I think if I'd known about the Rainbow Laces campaign maybe a little bit earlier, I would have felt a little bit more comfortable being myself and telling people um, at a younger age. Water polo being like a minority sport doesn't get very much TV or radio coverage. So having the Rainbow Laces really quite visible over Twitter, Facebook, all over the TV in the Premier League. It's absolutely fantastic to see and hopefully it'll encourage younger players or people that are 
currently hiding themselves to come out and feel comfortable in being who they are. Lewis explains how simple gestures can go a long way. The Rainbow Laces campaign has had an effect on me personally. So last year, during the campaign, all the lads wore rainbow laces around their neck, obviously, because we don't wear any trainers when we're in the pool. It just made me feel very welcome and very, um, very accepted by my team. And it was extremely heartwarming to see such a small act that goes such a, such a long way. While there are no out players, there is an official in the Pro League who's openly gay. Here's Ryan Atkin. All too often, we read or hear of homophobic chanting or abuse at sporting events across the country, but especially in football. We cannot afford to be complacent nor can we forget what generations before us have done for our community. Ryan says that it's important to help those who might be feeling alone or afraid. We cannot underestimate the power a visible rainbow flag or LGBT sportsperson can have on young people in this country or those countries where it is less accepted or still illegal. We should not be afraid of sport and sport should not be afraid of the LGBT community. Ahead of putting this feature together, the Blue Moon podcast spoke to several City fans who identify as LGBT but whose friends and family aren't aware, or have only recently taken their first steps towards coming out. Many express concerns about telling those who they go to the football with for fear of a negative reaction or being treated differently. One supporter who asked us to remain anonymous has recently come out as bisexual. I think you would struggle to find LGBTQ fan in England today who hasn't experienced some form of abuse on the terraces. It's hard enough to come out to people you know, but when you're in a crowd and there's people just shouting slurs that go unchallenged, uh, it really does cut deep. He's 23 and he says he's often heard homophobic comments in the stands. I mean, the fact is that so many of us have encountered that kind of abuse that it just shows that rainbow laces are needed to make a statement that acceptance, diversity are positive things in football and people just need some education. According to the latest stats from Kick It Out, reports of homophobic or transphobic abuse have risen in the last two seasons. Meanwhile, Stonewall says that more than half of people think anti-LGBT language should be challenged at sporting events, but only a quarter are willing to do it. Cass is 21 and a City fan who identifies as queer and non-binary. That means their gender identity isn't male or female. Football's unfortunately a tough environment for queer people, even in 2018. You only need to be in sort of South Stand for less than one half of football uh, to hear some kind of homophobic or transphobic slur being hurled uh, around. I mean, I love my club and all of our supporters, but there's a, there's a vicious side to some of our supporters that needs to be stamped out. Cass has been going to City for several years and has heard a number of things said in the stands that have gone unchallenged. I hope the Rainbow Laces campaign can demonstrate to these, you know, these types of people that any abuse towards uh, LGBTQ plus people is you know, utterly unacceptable. Um, when these people stand on terraces and hurl homophobic and transphobic abuse at players and officials, you know, they don't know who stood around them. You know, they don't know how it feels to, to be transphobically or homophobically abused. I know both those feelings, I can tell you it ain't great. And as Adam Crafton explained on the Sunday Supplement, football has the power to change people's lives, but the sport can only do it if it really wants to. There needs to be education for both those managers and players, and I think it should be compulsory. We always talk about it as a great thing when players are religious, and, we, and that's, that's a good thing for them. But there is this uneasy truce between religion and homosexuality, for example, and a lot of players are religious, but that therefore would make it for more difficult for them to be comfortable with their sexuality if they were, for example, to be gay. So we have to understand that 
this goes beyond just football, it's all aspects of society that would have to come together for a player to feel comfortable enough. With that in mind, ask yourself the question, is football doing enough to make LGBT people feel comfortable and accepted? Each club wore a rainbow captain's armband over the last two matches. Corner flags were replaced with rainbow colours too, but by and large that was it, with only one or two exceptions. How much more powerful a statement would it be to have had 100 or 200 players change their laces this week instead of doing the absolute bare minimum? Hi, this is Gary Cook and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Get your hands on an exclusive Blue Moon Podcast badge, bottle opener or mug by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast a look there at the rainbow laces campaign now i just want to just want to touch on that a little bit simon um obviously over the last two two matches we we brought it up in the feature there no city player wore the laces is it okay alongside the club you know back in it back in the campaign with the with the armband the you know the the rainbow corner flags is it okay for the players to then not wear them i would say no um in in danger of uh, answering what you've already got written down, I think <laughs> all the players should be made to wear them, regardless of if they think about it or if they, you know, if James McLean has to answer a load of idiots every year as to why he don't wear a poppy, so because everyone has to, so I, I think it would be a really easy gesture that would make a big difference. On that sense, is it the campaign then that should be uh, opt out? Or is it is it right that players kind of still opt in or, or you know, choose to do it rather than choose not to do it? I, I think they should all just get the laces, really. And I don't think that anyone should... And, and like I say, they should choose if they want not to wear them. But I kind of... Um, the the Tottenham Arsenal North London derby with the banana skin thrown at Aubameyang and there was a uh, they had an interview with the guy who threw it who claimed that he wasn't racist and just um, interestingly said he wasn't racist because he has black friends would you believe <laughs> but, he said he was a Greek Cypriot yeah well. what's that got to do with it <laughs> yeah, I know but you know I was talking about it with someone else and you know there is a a case for him where he doesn't think he is racist. He is, but he doesn't, he doesn't think, think he's not aware of think it. He yeah. Is, yeah. And I just think if all the players were to wear rainbow laces, it would just send a, a, a big message that, you know, it doesn't affect them at all, them wearing it, but it could make a big difference to a lot of other people and just raise awareness so that you get fewer people around who, who, um, who think that it's okay still to be bigoted. Dan, I mean, ultimately, City have a kit man that makes up the boots. So, I mean, could it not just be club policy to say, right, well, this week we're going to change the laces in everybody's boots? Of course it could, yeah. I don't understand it at all. Um, I mean, Simon mentioned the, the James McLean poppy thing there, and I can I can perhaps imagine there are some people out there thinking, well, you shouldn't be forcing ideology on people, you know, this kind of thing. But, you know, it's just, if you're going to have the campaign, if you're going to have the, the, the armbands and the corner flags and all that sort of stuff, then just add it to the boots as well. And I, I wonder if it is a question of perhaps the players aren't quite aware of what's going on completely. Perhaps there is a question of education. I think it's a fantastic campaign. I think you know a lot of credit is due to the FA and, and to Stonewall for, for what they've done um, to, to raise awareness for, for the issue over the, the last couple of years. But I still feel that perhaps the players aren't quite in the loop on it or don't quite understand the significance of it. 
Um, and perhaps if they, you know, if, if someone was sent to speak to every club in the country before this weekend comes up um, in future years and, and just tell them what it's about and this is why we think you should do it, why I think it would be sending a positive message to people, then I, I think more players would do it. Um, but, you know, like you say, the club could easily just put rainbow laces on every player's boots and it's done then, isn't it? Do you think part of the problem is is that players live in a bubble? And it's very easy to kind of say, well, at this stage, you know, in, in, in where we are with football... We have to kind of mollycoddle players because if we don't, they'll go somewhere else to be mollycoddle. I should have picked a word I could say, really, shouldn't I? Um, but you know, you take my point. They could just go somewhere else if if they're being forced to do things they don't want to do. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, there are no openly gay footballers or very few out there, aren't there, um, who are, who are actually still playing at the moment. I mean, there definitely are players who who are gay. There must be statistically, and at the same time, that there are probably players. A lot of them who are quite homophobic as well, because you know they're perhaps not the the same education that other people have, and that, and that kind of thing. So I do think more can be done. Yeah, just just to educate the players and just to make the campaign just more of a, a bigger thing than it than it is at the moment. It's you know you get clubs changing the the badges on social media to the the rainbow flag and all that sort of thing. Um, but but homophobia is still a huge problem, not just in football but in society. Um, you know you only have to look at the replies to some of the tweets that clubs do around this time of year to see that people are still disgustingly homophobic. So um, we're a long way from that being eradicated, unfortunately. But I do think you know the players um, need to need to start standing up for themselves and, and being a bit more mature about this. Um, and, and taking it upon themselves to, to make the point uh, with, when it comes to this campaign, but they need help. So, Simon, I mean, I, this is, I suppose, the, the million-dollar question on this one. But what, I mean, what can be done to report to get people to report discriminatory language and, and stuff like that? I mean, you mentioned yourself the, the racist incident in the North London derby. What, what sort of, how can we create an atmosphere where where fans will go? Actually, what on earth are you doing, mate? Yeah, it, it's really tough, isn't it? Um, and it's strange because I. I don't know this guy from North London Derby at all, but you get people who are completely mild mannered and then get to the football and something in them snaps and out comes this vitriol of things that they never consider saying normally. Away from the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, you know, you kind of need to stamp that out by everyone reacting to it. Um when they come out with it to to let them know that that's not okay but it's tough and it can be intimidating depending on who's saying it or you know who's trying to put a stop to it um i mean yeah city have something where you can sort of report things anonymously do they and you can sort of let them know your experience and then they can take action um so things like that are obviously good but i think like dan said just a lot more more awareness to be honest um for sort of for players for fans like as much as um you know changing your your twitter badge to the rainbow flag why not stick a few articles out there or or speak i mean speak to the people that it it affects most i mean i've not that's one thing i've not seen from across the league really is is to actually have the 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 campaign groups talking about how it uh, how it affects them so i suppose that could be uh that could be an option as well. Uh, right, well, uh, looking ahead to uh, to City's uh, coming week, we've got Chelsea away on Saturday at 5.30, then Hoffenheim at home on the Wednesday in the Champions League. Um, Dan, I'm going to start with you on the on the Chelsea game. What can what can we learn from the Community Shield, if anything, uh, that, that City played Chelsea early in the season? What can we learn from that? 
I would say probably not very much, to be honest with you, because, I mean, that day was quite a weakened City team that beat Chelsea and Maurizio Sarri had only been in the job for a couple of weeks, hadn't really had time to get his team playing like he, he wants them to. Um, and I think it was a bit of a walkover from City on the day in the end. So I think we should just completely forget about that as um, going into this game as any kind of indication of how it's going to go. What I would um, look at more is the fact that Chelsea haven't been playing particularly well lately. Um, they lost away at Wolves on Wednesday night. Um, previous to that, they beat Fulham at home when they were quite poor. I can't remember the other results, but it's been a while since Chelsea have looked um, really good, I think. And um, I think that was to be expected with Sarri, really, because his first season was always going to be troublesome and a bit of a bad in period um, I have no doubt that they will um, put in a good performance against City on, on, on Saturday and that's going to be a really hard game but I think um, you know they've not quite been playing the same way that they were earlier in the season Eden Hazard you know there was a point when everyone was talking about him as if he'd already won the player of the year award he's gone quite quiet lately um, Jorginho was a player who sort of really was making Chelsea tick and I think he's his performances have tailed off a little bit so I think we should um we should be quite confident about City getting a result from this game based on the way Chelsea have played lately. When you consider that 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 obviously Chelsea were were still in touching distance with Liverpool and and, and City at the top of the league, I didn't realise how far behind they'd slipped now. And I didn't realise because I, I was going to say, is it a two horse race already? Well, I mean, ultimately it has to be, doesn't it? And a, a win on Saturday for City will, will ultimately kick off their their title challenge. Yeah, I mean, because Tottenham beat Chelsea and Tottenham went ahead of Chelsea and. Then Arsenal beat Tottenham and Arsenal are suddenly up there and it sort of everyone is beating each other away from Liverpool and City. Who are beating um, everybody else. Who are beating everyone else and avoiding defeat against their their main rivals. Um I think as as Dan said, Chelsea under Sarri, it was always gonna be a bit like Pep's first season at City. Like it was gonna be a massive change and it was a surprise that the players sort of adapted to it so quickly. It's not a surprise to see them being taken apart by a good Tottenham team or losing to Wolves. And Sarri said after the Wolves game that the you know the big problem for him was his players didn't respond and didn't respond after they conceded a goal. It does have a lot of echoes of that Guardiola first season. Yeah, now, doesn't it? Now you mentioned yeah. It. I mean, you know what we're in December now, so. December in Pep's first season, they lost to Chelsea. There's that infamous Leicester game where I don't do tackles came out, and <laughs> it you know that there is a lot I can see if Chelsea don't react quickly to what happened at Wolves. That if City get ahead early, then it could be very comfortable for them because Chelsea are not in the best form, and you know having had such a good start, that's now been punctured, and that was the difficulty for City in that first season that they couldn't get that belief back and there's you know Kante isn't sure whether he's in the right role or not there's a bit of rumblings around there Jorginho is struggling slightly so Chelsea are not at their best coming into this one and City couldn't get back on it for all that season basically so can Chelsea Dan, you uh, you mentioned um, about the the Wolves defeat a, a bit earlier on. Um, I, I mean, the order of the games this weekend, Liverpool could be top as City go there. Does that uh, does that change anything for City? It shouldn't do really. Um, I think there's a very strong possibility that, that will be the case. Actually, that Liverpool will win their game and be top when when City kick off. But I think it's been quite clearly defined, the lines in the Premier League, for a few weeks now. I think City are the best team in the league. Liverpool are a fairly close second to them. And then after that, you sort of take your pick between Chelsea, Arsenal or, or um, Tottenham as to who's the third best team. 
and obviously United are quite far behind, aren't they? Um, <laughs> Richard Burns is yeah. delighted that they're comfortably in sixth, I think. Is, uh... <laughs> I bet he is, yeah. Um, so I, I don't think City are the sort of... They have more personality than to be affected by the fact that they might go into Saturday's game second in the Premier League. And even if you know Liverpool do win and City lose this week and we... We, um, we we do slip to second. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on the, the rest of the season, really. Um, it will be nice if we get to the, when we play Liverpool on the 3rd of uh, January with a nice little buffer so that should we do lose that game, that we, we don't lose um, top spot. But I think once that game is out of the way, then it's a real straight shoot-off between Liverpool and City as to who can get the most points between uh, then and the end of the season. And, who, and that obviously, they will win the title. So I, I don't think City are going to be... Um, too affected by by results going the uh, the wrong way for them this weekend. It must ultimately, Simon, be be quite disheartening for Liverpool to see the way City are playing though, because they've 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 just had their best ever start in their entire history, and they're not top of the league. Yeah, and it, it it's almost a disservice to call it a start now with being fifteen games in. <laughs> it's it's almost half a season. They keep going. Um, yeah, I, I was interested to hear Guardiola say that he he wants. Liverpool to do really well and he wants Liverpool to push City all the way I don't think he does I I, I could see it I could see <laughs> it I was when I saw they were 1-0 down to Burnley I thought mm, right okay chance for City to get ahead and then a little tiny part of me was quite happy that they came back to win um, I, I, it just sounds like masochism, though. You just you know, just let City run away with it, and then everybody else. Can... Well, that's the safe part because you know the <laughs> apocalypse will be Liverpool winning the league. So <laughs> if that were to happen, we'd all just have to sort of go in a bunker and, <laughs> and, and yeah, get a, get a, get, get a, as far away from social media as possible. I yeah, suppose, really. yeah, so, but yeah. I, but I would quite like an exciting title race, and if if Liverpool. Um, our top it gives City something else to think about because they've been so used to being top but you know there's not a squad I don't think that are hungrier than City's so it can do no harm for Liverpool to be briefly top and to just kind of jab the hornet's nest yeah. a little bit yeah, yeah. Um, I mean just changing focus a little bit because uh, as well Hoffenheim is uh, is on the horizon um, with the Premier League being tight as we've talked about is it does it put added pressure on winning the Champions League group, Simon? Because then, in theory, there's an easier draw and it makes the second half of the season a bit easier. It does, but without um, doing a disservice to Hoffenheim, I think City should be able to get a point at home without playing... Whatever team they play. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say put out a team of 10-year-olds, but I think that City need one game in this month where Pep can rest a lot of players... And I think Hoffenheim is a better chance to do that than Leicester away in the Cup or any of the league games running up to Liverpool. So I, I, I would like to think that he will play a significantly weakened team against Hoffenheim. I don't think he will because he loves the Champions League and he'll say they've not guaranteed top spot. But I think they could do with, with resting quite a few. Dan, this is this is one of those games where fans will be calling for uh, for Phil Foden to start. Um, you know, he, he didn't start in the last Champions League game, but it seemed pretty nailed on that he probably should as well. Uh, what's your take on the on the whole thing? I think he's absolutely got to start against Hoffenheim. Uh, I mean, people were quite disappointed that he didn't play uh, much of a part against Leon a few weeks ago. I could kind of kind of understand Guardiola's thinking there, um, in that you know he didn't want to take too many risks in that game, but if you know, we need a point from this game against Hoffenheim. If Foden can't be trusted to play in a game where we need any kind of result like that, 
um, then, then if I have a bit of worries about his future at City. I mean, he is only still a young lad. He's still only 18. And I think there is a bit of clamour for him to play um, based on his performances for England at the uh, Under-17 World Cup uh, a couple of years ago. I think the English media are quite uh, eager for Foden to, to blossom and, and to be you know, getting involved with the England senior setup and all that sort of thing. And obviously he's going to need to play more first-team games for City in order to do that. And I think perhaps Guardiola knows um, what he's good at a little bit better than, than we do at this moment in time and knows when to play him and, and that sort of thing. But I think he's absolutely got to play against Hoffenheim. Um, you know, we, we, as Simon said, we've got a lot of games coming up. It's time to to, to freshen up the squad and um, you know give people a rest and stuff like that. And if Guardiola doesn't trust Foden, I don't really understand why that is because he's looked nothing but trustworthy whenever he's played for me. And I, I really think he needs a ninety minutes first team game under his belt to to sort of um, you know kick on and, and really blossom into the player that he could be. How about Diaz, Simon? Because uh, you know his situation's changed. Yeah, um, I've no problem in giving Diaz minutes if it means another player is rested because he still should be allowed, uh, you know, if it's for the greater benefit of the team. Um, And the rest depends on the player himself and whether he wants to stay or he wants to to leave. I mean, Guardiola suggested that he goes in January if he he doesn't feel like he wants to see out the rest of... if he doesn't see a a future for himself at at, uh, City, but with... With Guardiola's brother being Diaz's agent, it's all a bit of a bizarre situation. <laughs> you like, you know, contracts standoff, and you think, well, should be, should be the easiest negotiation in history. Yeah, it? yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, we, we were told Brexit would be a really easy negotiation. <laughs> I mean, this should be even easier, shouldn't it? Well, uh, yeah. well yeah, families get together over Christmas, so maybe they'll all <laughs> the Guardiola brothers will will reunite and sort something out. But at the minute, it looks like he's he's going to go, and that is an issue for Foden and his future because. City at the minute turn around and say, well, if you look at the number of young players playing regularly in European top leagues and doing well, there aren't any slash many, and that holds for as long as there aren't. But Sancho's doing well at the at the top of the Bundesliga. If Diaz goes to Madrid and starts getting game time, well, City rated Foden above both of those, so Foden's entitled to look at at that if that happens. But also with Sancho and and think, well, I can be doing it at least somewhere, if not City. Right, well, no winners on last week's podcast means the total for the charity bet stands at £495 for the season. We're working with William Hill to raise money for the Christie. That's a cancer hospital in Manchester with our score predictions. Each of us is getting a £10 correct score single, and there's two games, Chelsea and Hoffenheim. So, uh, Dan, I'm going gonna to start with you. What, uh, what are you having for Chelsea? 2-0, uh, I reckon. 2-0 is 9-1, uh, yeah. to one, which is uh, £90. And then uh, Hoffenheim, what are you going for there? I'll go for 3-0 for that one. 3-0 is 11-2, to two, so 55 quid if you're right on that one. Simon, uh, we'll, uh, away at the bridge, what, uh, what are you having? I'm going to go for 2-1 to two, City. 2-1 City is 7-1, uh, which is uh, 70 quid. And then Hoffenheim at home? 3-1. Even with a rotated team at 3-1, uh, is 9-1, uh, so 90 quid if you're right. Uh, I've got 1-0 at the bridge, a repeat of last season, but uh, probably not De Bruyne with the goal on that uh, on this occasion. 8-1 there, 80 quid. And 2-0 uh, for Hoffenheim. I, I I don't see it being one of the uh, the season's entertainers, I'll be honest with you. 6-1 uh, there for 60 quid. So uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now, City's involvement in the FA Youth Cup begins soon. It's been a while since they tasted 
tasted success in the competition. I've been speaking to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, to get the lowdown on what fans should expect for the youngsters in the competition this season. I think we can expect, obviously, the, the usual mix of the first-year scholars and the second-year EDS standouts. So the likes of Nemecha and hopefully Rabi Matondo, it might be a bit a bit above him these days as we'll go into later on but hopefully we'll see the likes of those alongside the likes of the returning Tommy Doyle and uh, Taylor Harwood Bellis who's had a great start to his his life at City and then then kind of the the big money names that you'd expect from this year Ben Knight, uh, Jaden Braff they'll all be expected to be in and around the side I mean they'll go all out that's for sure there's no thought of oh let's play the youngest team possible and get some development City's Academy want to win this this trophy I could tell you that for definite this is kind of the the major trophy in academy football I, I still believe uh, and I think City the crowds that turn up to, to City's games in there you know the disappointment of last year aside uh, kind of show that so I think you're, you're expecting to at very least see a, a very good goal at, at cracking this competition this year it's interesting because previous Youth Cup years, I mean, you, you wrote about it for the, the Blooming Podcast Patreon blog recently, um, previous attempts at the at the Youth Cup haven't been that successful. They last won it in 2008. They kept getting beat by Chelsea in the final. Um, how much is it an indicator of, of success, if you know what I mean? Well, I've been looking at recently, actually, Lee Carsley's side that I mentioned before, the, the side in 16-17 that fell way short in the end. Against against Chelsea as as usual, um, some of the players that were in that that final loss, you know, you're looking at you're looking at Aaron Murich, who's made his City and international debut recently. Diaz, uh, you know, has played and scored for City. We're looking at Lucas Nemetcha, Matt Smith, Matt Smith, who's you know now now an international. Nemetcha, who's played for City, Phil Foden, obviously, uh, even Jaden Sancho. Even though the, the success isn't necessarily at City, it's still a you know. He's now a, a senior player at the very the very highest level, basically. We do have successes from those previous failures. The problem being, is the talent still there? Um, it, it remains to be seen. I've mentioned before a couple of the potentials, like uh, Felix Nemecher and Rabbi Matondo. Regardless of, of success in the competition in the past, we do now have a, an obvious path that final loss in particular that had the most talented side it may have had a rather makeshift defence at the time younger Francis who's not the greatest strongest defender and also a midfielder who's since moved on as, as our centre backs for, for example um, so that, it's a bit of a shame and probably saw our greatest chance to win it over the last decade but you know the, the actual important thing in, in that we, we, we have started to see a progression into the first team. I'm hopeful that there's one or two in this side that may that may prove the same. One name that I picked out of there was uh, obviously Brahim Diaz. There's been news about his contract uh, recently. What would you make of that situation? Well, I take a kind of different view to to some on this one. He's obviously behind Foden in the reckoning for Guardiola, and you can kind of see why. He's still a very raw footballer. It's great to see him take his two goals, but he's still got a long way to go. I don't think it's it would be such a disaster if we were to lose him, even for nothing, at the end of this year. Because, as I've spoken about before, if he becomes good enough over time, it, we could spend absolutely anything on him to bring him back. It's important that he's grown at the club, which is something that's been achieved already. You know, we, there's no more time waiting on that. 
if he's good enough, we can buy him back. The short-term loss of losing him immediately, money's not going to run out at City, so we can buy him back. Talk to me about uh, Rabi Matondo as well, because uh, he, he was called up for Wales. As you heard on this very podcast, as you heard predicted. Like I said, with the Matt Smith situation, it's it's a policy they have at Wales to, to draft them in as quickly as possible, get them locked into into the Wales, the Welsh team. Um, he was drafted in quite late on. I think Matt Smith himself actually had to drop out and go and go back and play for FC20. Um, so there was a spot available for Rabi. Um, the early report I did watch him come on. Um, the early reports I've seen from the, from Wales, the obvious ones like. Oh God, he's rapid type thing, but it, it, was, it was just great to see. So that's another another young player developed through the academy who's now an international. He's great, absolutely fantastic to see. He's not actually played for City yet, but uh, yeah, his development's going very well in the minute. And uh, just finally, you mentioned uh, Murich uh, earlier on as well. Um, he's now locked to Kosovo as well. Yeah, uh, I could not have predicted that at the start of this year. He's gone through four different countries over the, over the course of his City career. But he played the full competitive game for Kosovo. Um, great 4-0 win. He was fantastic from all accounts. Uh, game I wasn't able to watch, unfortunately. But, you know, you scroll Twitter, you scroll um, official reports of the game. He made a few fantastic saves. Some of the translated reports that I, I was looking at were, were calling him Mini Edison, which is great to see. Absolutely fantastic to see. So, yeah, another one who's had an, a fantastic international break and someone you'll see much much more as we go into the future for City I think. I walked past him in the mix zone the other day, he's massive, he's huge, he's huge. He's yeah. absolutely <laughs> massive which is a good start for a keeper but he's he's great with his feet as well and people are starting to recognise that. I think this is the end for Claudio Bravo This is the Blue Moon Podcast but don't worry, it'll be over soon Sean Blinkhorn talking about City's youth team and youth cup prospects there. Now it's uh, time to finish with Ask the Panel. You send in the questions, we answer them. That's how it works at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or you can email through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. First up is Curtis Simpson on Twitter who asks, are Kyle Walker's mistakes an issue? His crossing game isn't up to last season's standard and has played some bad passes too. Am I looking for perfection or is this a problem? Simon, what do you reckon? Um, I... I haven't noticed that his crossing isn't up to last season's standard. I'd, I've never really rated his his crossing. To be honest, um, that's not his strength. With uh, I think City's old youth team coach, where Kieran Trippier came through, kind of said if you could have Walker's game but with Trippier's delivery, that would be like the perfect right back, and you couldn't get any better better than that. Uh, Walker's never been that great at crossing. He can sort of do those sort of cutbacks along the ground that work but he's not been in the best form of late but I thought he was better against Watford um, and all players just go through these these patches where where they're, they're not as effective as they can be but I still think Walker's has been a really important signing for City and is still a really important part of the first team. So ultimately, Curtis, stop being a perfectionist. I think that's what uh, what Simon Bakowski says. Uh, and uh, Marion Kennedy's been in touch on the emails to ask, Danny Baker was complaining on Twitter about how the season is a foregone conclusion. Why is it only now that City are dominant instead of United or Liverpool that people are bored with it? Is this a new level of dominance? Why can't people sit back and enjoy what City are doing this season? Because it won't last forever. Dan, I'm going to let you un- un- uh, unpick that one. 
<laughs> I mean, I'd like to think it was a foregone conclusion, wouldn't you? But I don't think. I mean, like we said earlier in the show, City could be second in the in the league um, on Saturday night if if results go badly for them. So um, I think perhaps people are looking at the hundred point season they got last year and and the way City have been just a winning machine again this year and thinking eventually they're going to pull away from Liverpool and and win the league title by sixteen points again. Um, I, like I say, I would like to think that happens. I don't really understand why people think it will and. Um, and you know, as as um, Marion alluded to in the question, there there was periods in the the nineties and the eighties and the seventies when United and Liverpool were hoovering up trophies, and you didn't really seem to see people complaining about it very much then. Perhaps there's an element of the uh, the financial doping that City have done over the years that um, people think it's uh, somehow less moral than than what those clubs did. I don't know whether they're entitled to think whatever they want. I say if you're um, looking if you're looking for morals, football's not really the place to start, is absolutely it? Absolutely not. not like... No, it's a it's a moral vacuum and always has been, hasn't it? Really. Um, and I think I think the, the other part of the question about people why can't people enjoy the City team I think generally speaking people do appreciate what City are doing as a football team not just City fans but the wider football world um, like watching City and the way they play and that sort of thing in the same way that people used to like watching the great Arsenal team play in the, under Wenger and you know Guardiola's Barcelona and all that sort of thing you know you're always going to get the odd comment here and there like Danny Baker on Twitter the other night complaining about something or other, you've just got to live with that, really. You know, I don't think it represents the, the sort of zeitgeist completely. Simon, I mean, I've, there's one question in there that really stands out to me of, uh, of Marion's email is, is is this a new level of dominance? Are, are City doing things that have never been done before in, in terms of, of how they dominate a, a, a league? Well, they, they certainly did last season um, in terms of Guardiola came to England and everyone said, well, they won't be able to win the league like he did in La Liga or... Bundesliga because the the Premier League is the most competitive ever in the world and you know that was the question he got asked at every press conference for about 16 months um, about whether English was tougher and uh, and it is to a degree but it's not in others and I think what they did last year was was show that if you get everything right then uh, then you can be unstoppable really Guardiola and his coaching team were kind of the missing pieces for City um, in their sort of desires and ambitions in the the transfer market. Um, but if it was perfect, then they wouldn't have dropped points and Liverpool are going pretty close to, to catching them at the minute. So, you know, it, it's still a healthy competition, but I think what Guardiola did was upset a lot of people's perceptions about the Premier League being this tough thing where everyone can beat everyone, etc., and uh, it turns out if you are really good every week, then people can't beat you, which is why I think people get <laughs> it's upset. Not, not really new that though, is it? No, <laughs> no. But I think, you know, a big reason why, because I, I, I do get a bit, I, I can understand sympathy. I can understand the frustrations of some, because when City won the league like that, it was like, oh, well, they need to do it again to be great. And now they look like they might do it. And it's kind of like... Well, oh, it's right not. Then. It's not fair. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, that it's changing the goalpost, isn't it? Um, which isn't great. But I think had Twitter been around when United or Liverpool were enjoying great spells of dominance, then I'd like to think we'd have seen seen the same because everyone loves to moan. <laughs> That's a, a perfect <laughs> note to finish on. Thank you very much to uh, to my two guests, Simon Bykowski. Thank you, and Dan Burke, all the way from Germany. 
Thank you very much. And uh, if you want a little bit more Blue Moon podcast, we're talking about City and Chelsea links on uh, on our Patreon show. That's available for everybody who backs $2 a month on Patreon. Uh, for that, you get at least 10 to 15 minutes of uh, extra content a week, plus blogs by myself and Richard Burns all throughout the month. Uh, so uh, go and check that out, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. I've been David Mooney, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you in seven days' time. Take care. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast